edition of Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host here, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com in the sunny climes of Western Japan on this Thursday night edition of the broadcast. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in tonight, whether you're listening live on the radio at KHFX 1140 AM in Dallas-Fort Worth, or whether you're listening live on republicbroadcasting.org, or whether you're listening in the archives, wherever you are, whenever you are in this wide world of ours, thank you so much for investing your time and your mental energies in Corbett Report Radio. And on that note, everyone loves a mystery, and who could love a mystery more than Henry Kissinger? What on earth am I talking about? Let's listen to uh, some excerpts from a very interesting article that just came out on Channel 4 News. Uh, you sometimes get the strangest pieces of information from the strangest places. This uh, article crossed my desk the other day from a, a listener who sent this in, and I just thought this was so bizarre and interesting I wanted to share it with you. It's called Henry Kissinger and Football's Longest Unsolved Riddle. And uh, for the Americans and the Canadians and others in the audience, uh, you can just translate football to soccer, and you'll get the, uh, get the idea. But this article says, quote, There is no bigger unsolved mystery in the history of the beautiful game than how Argentina came to win the 1978 World Cup. They did it on home turf. It was one of the proudest moments in the nation's history. But were their results fixed by General Jorge Videa, their military dictator? And what, if anything, has former U.S. Secretary of State Dr. Henry Kissinger got to do with this enduring mystery? Dr. Kissinger was invited to Argentina to watch their World Cup triumph, invited as a personal and controversial guest of the regime's brutal president. But first, let's put this in context. Consider the potential global impact of those jubilant images of Argentina's first World Cup success, because Argentina's military junta was in something of a bind at the time. The World Cup was held during the Dirty War when tens of thousands of left-wing political activists were disappeared by the state. Former Peruvian Senator Genaro Ledesma has a theory that he claims explains all you need to know about the 1978 World Cup. He told Channel 4 News, I want to propose the annulment of the 1978 World Cup. Argentina should give it back. It should be investigated by FIFA and the Argentinian judiciary. Well, the article goes on to talk about the political context of what was going on in the in Argentina at the time in Peru and in that area and uh, the background of the game itself. But let's just skip down this article a little and take a look at this bizarre little passage that sheds some light on a very strange uh, passage of history that I think we should uh, at least spend a bit of time ruminating on. It says, quote, What happened next is the subject of a fierce debate. Several Peru players have now told Channel 4 News Videa took, him with a, took with him a most astonishing guest, one of the world's most powerful statesmen, the former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. The pictures of them together in the stadium would be flashed around the world, being filmed glad-handing with a fl- figure as influential as Kissinger brought Argentina's violent right-wing regime kudos and respect. With the result of the must-win game against Peru by now allegedly fixed, it was a priceless PR coup. But for the team, though, it was troubling. For what on earth were they doing there? Peru's former captain Hector Chumpitas told us it seemed like they were just they were there just to greet and welcome us. They also said that they hoped it would be a good game because there was a great deal of anticipation amongst the Argentine public. He wished us luck, and that was it. The players just couldn't believe what they were seeing. We started looking at each other and wondering, shouldn't they have gone to the Argentine dressing room, not our room? What's going on? I mean, they wished us luck? Why? It left us wondering. As has the world of football, i.e. soccer, ever since. 
The game began. Peru mysteriously started leaking goals. At halftime, Argentina still needed two more to make it to the final, and then the plot thickens further still. Why was one of Peru's best players taken off? Jose Velasquez is still angry. Something happened. Our team was changed. I was changed in the 10th minute of the second half, when we were already losing by two goals. There was no reason to change me. I always was an important piece of in our team. So what can one think? What can one think? We'll be right back with more right after this. Welcome back to Program Friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting as we go over the news and take your calls on anything you want to get in on tonight. It is Thursday night. We have wide open phones. And unlike most Thursday nights here on the program, our friend James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com will not be joining us tonight. He is off uh, taking a much-deserved rest and will be back with us on the program next Thursday. So tonight it's completely wide open all night. Whatever you want to get in on and get your opinion on the air, 1-800-313-9443. So uh, get that in. Or, of course, you can also tweet me at Corbett Report. And for the Twitterers out there, I just tweeted that uh, article we were going over before the break, Henry Kissinger and Football's Longest Unsolved Riddle. So you can go and follow that link and read that. Really bizarre, head-scratching article for yourself. I don't really know what to make of it. It is a bizarre and interesting story, and I just thought I'd like to share it with all of you. Maybe it isn't the most important story in the world, but it is very interesting at any rate, and it certainly fits in with a lot of what we know about Kissinger and his chumming around with war criminals and uh, and dictators, as he is wont to do. And, of course, it's always important to be listening to people like Kissinger, who uh, really do represent the inside of the the... Well, I guess the super gophers for the the real puppeteers, the people who are really pulling the strings. And chances are, if we know their name and we see their faces on TV, like Kissinger or Brzezinski, they're not exactly pulling the strings, but they are certainly people who are involved in the structure and are really, really the uh, the front fi- front men for the uh, the oligarchy that's ruling behind the scenes. So it's important to listen when people like Kissinger and them are speaking because they are telling you what's going on in the in the minds of the uh, the would be controllers of this world, as it were. And on that note, this uh, weekend on my podcast at CorporateReport.com, we will be doing a follow-up episode to my recent, uh, or not so recent, but my earlier podcast episode on listening to the enemy. And I know that one was quite popular, where we listen to some of these people, the Kissingers and people like that, and and listen to what they're talking about and and really parse what they're saying for, for clues that they give us as to what's really going on. And on that note, well, why don't we turn to tonight's next story, which I thought I would share with you an extremely, extremely important one, an extremely interesting one, and, a well, an overall pretty disturbing one when you start to parse it out. It's uh, called Next Great Depression, MIT Study Predicting Global Economic Collapse by 2030, Still on Track. Interesting. Well, so what can this be talking about? Well, it's talking about a renowned Australian research scientist who says a study from researchers at MIT claiming the world could suffer from a global economic collapse and precipitous population decline if people continue to consume the world's resources at the current pace. And it's still on track nearly 40 years after it was first produced. The Smithsonian Magazine writes that Australian physicist Graham Turner says the world is on track for disaster and that current research from Turner coincides with a famous, and in some quarters, infamous, academic report from 1972 entitled The Limits to Growth. 
Turner's research is not affiliated with MIT or the Club, for, the Club of Rome. Produced for a group called the Club of Rome, the study's researchers created a computer model to forecast different scenarios based on the current models of population growth and global resource competition. The study also took into account different levels of agricultural productivity, birth control, and environmental protection efforts. Twelve million copies of the report were produced and distributed in 30, 37 different languages. Most of the computer scenarios found population and economic growth continuing at a steady rate until about 2030, but without drastic measures for environmental protection, the scenarios predict the likelihood of a population and economic crash. Wow, imagine my shock and surprise, the, uh, the elite so-called, musing philosophical about the coming population and economic crash that will send the world into a tailspin, exactly as we've been saying is what they've wanted to accomplish all these years. And they're telling you exactly how it's going to be accomplished by whipping the public into frenzies about the so-called carrying capacity of the earth. And it is the same tired old Malthusian propaganda that has unfortunately persisted for literally centuries. And if you go back to Malthus, who by, him, by himself wasn't even original, but he was just coalescing lots of ideas that had been around in the air for some time when he was coming along. But, of course, he had the famous dictum that, food that populations increase exponentially, but food supply only increases arithmetically. And thus, it is just a scientific principle. We must take it as an article of scientific faith that the Earth is about to reach this point where starvation will be rampant and we will no longer be able to really survive as a species on this planet anymore. And, of course, that's what uh, Malthus was writing about happening within a generation, and he was writing 200 years ago. So he was, I don't know, I guess he must have been off by at least a couple centuries. But apparently this doesn't really bother people too much, who for every subsequent generation since he came out have continued to parrot the same Malthusian propaganda, that there is a carrying capacity for the Earth that we're just about to reach. In fact, we've probably already crossed the line. It's inevitable now. We're, we're going to start running out of resources left, right, and center, and everything is going to go to, to hell in a handbasket. And the only thing that we can do is put our faith and our trust in groups like the Club of Rome to tell us what to do. How can we solve this problem? Oh, please create some sort of world governmental structures to tell everybody how to live their life and limit their growth. Because that's what it's about, ultimately, in the eyes of this so-called would-be self-proclaimed elite. It's not about making the planet better. It's not about building people up. It's not about finding ways around the problems. It's about, well, it's all going to happen. We're all going to die. So you better just choose how you want to die. And, uh, and unfortunately, as I've gone through in so much of my work, this relates to the very same old tired eugenics memes that we've gone over so many, so many times before on this broadcast and in so much of my other work, and we keep going over it because so much of it comes back to this, and unfortunately we're being put in these situations where we are being made to expect and to believe as inevitable this, this crash that they're constantly talking about. And it conditions the public to not only expect it, but to almost welcome it when it arrives. Well, it's finally here, and we've become such a cancer on this earth. Well, it's time for the great culling to begin. And people can be made to actively desire and participate in their own enslavement and ultimately their own extermination just because they've been given the tropes and the ideas that have been spoon-fed to them for a couple of hundred years in, uh, now, but of course going back at least 40 years to the release of The Limits to Growth. 
that infamous Club of Rome document. We will get more into that and how it ties into the broader depopulation agenda, but we already have one caller waiting patiently on the line, so let's go to your calls again. Anyone else who wants to get in on tonight's episode, absolutely anything that's on your mind, 1-800-313-9443. But we have Chris in Las Vegas waiting on the line, so Chris, thank you again for calling in. Hello there, James. Good evening to you. Good evening to you. Interesting email, and whether it's credible or not, I can't tell you. Uh, from breaking, uh, waking up or breaking up America concerning, uh, a purported confession on the likely deathbed of Dick Cheney, uh, pursuant to his recent heart replacement surgery. I have seen the exact email you're talking about. It is an April Fool's joke, but, uh, it, it has the ring of truth to it, doesn't it? Yes, supposedly after his, uh, heart transplant, they're saying he came out and made a speech about how he was responsible for 9-11. Of course, this didn't actually happen. It is an April Fool's joke, but it is, uh, it does have that ring of truth to it, doesn't it? Well, indeed, uh, I'm sure that many uh, patriots out there may have been praying for some divine intervention in the, uh, failure of success of this, putting a new heart in this demonic seed. But, uh, I know, would prefer to see him. Uh, I would prefer to see him brought to justice than just to see him die in his bed like so many other dictators and brutal, horrible people. Well, that's a point, I guess, for well taken. Although he does have that uh, daughter that's clone-like, following in his footsteps with her uh, decided national security interest at heart, uh, her uh, corrupt heart, obviously. And you were speaking a little bit about the. Uh, eugenics and uh, the food starvation plan for the globe that's being uh, particularly engineered by Mo Satan or Monsanto and uh, DuPont. Of course, Bill Gates' father being the close associate of Margaret Singer of the Negro Population Reduction Society, a.k.a. now Planned Parenthood, is uh, well-respected and noted amongst their deviant perverse individuals of the technocrats and the Tavistockian society for their wanting to depopulate the earth, uh, some of them by particular sex to start out with, but just generally 75% reduction. I'm with you, absolutely. Everything you just said is uh, perfectly uh, perfectly sound, and people can go and do that research for themselves, and I really, truly hope they do, because once again, once you connect all of these cookie crumbs together, it inevitably leads back to the same cast of characters with the same agenda, and it's depopulation and spreading their, uh, their GMO monstrosities and other things in the name of uh, killing us off and clearing the gene pool of our bad genes while they, of course, get to propagate into the future with their transhumanism and all of that garbage. On C-SPAN Diet.org a few days ago, or a week or so ago, I saw Rabid Shah, the Administrative Director for USAID, the United States Aid for International Development, and he was touting the expected droughts in the Horn of Africa and suggesting that they thought they were going to be able to once the drought hit, replace it with drought-tolerant seeds, I'm sure by most Satan. And, of course, then they would be hooked on the ever-needed supply of the drug of the GMO drought-tolerant food uh, source to supply their needs for sustenance. And I believe that that may be a likely tactic if we consider that perhaps the food is being used as a weapon, perhaps the 
accidental, pretensive, uh, out-of-control forest fires, range fires, set as backfires that, oh, my goodness, they got out of control again. The winds came up. We never knew they were coming. Uh, hmm. could also be used as a methodology of creating a expansive, dry, unstable soil base to be uh, dust bowl-like. You're absolutely right. It's always the order out of chaos, and they often create the chaos, and uh, absolutely they're trying to get their GMOs into Africa, desperately trying to dump them and offload them in Africa. So something to keep our eyes on. Thank you so much for the call, Chris. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to Orbit Report Radio. And just before the break, we were talking to Chris in Las Vegas, and he was bringing up the documented history of the connections of some of these eugenicists and where they're really coming from. So, for example, he mentioned Bill Gates, whose father was on the board of Planned Parenthood and was deeply involved with the spreading of Margaret Sanger's crusade to, uh, to rid the world of these human weeds, as she called them and uh, many of the other despicable and horrific things that she talked and wrote about and is now lauded as the most wonderful example of liberalism and awards are given in her honor and all of this other sickness. But uh, but just uh, on that that note, I was going to back up what Chris was saying and just point people in the direction of an article uh, or a transcript or something that would uh, that would just back up what he was saying about Bill Gates Sr.'s connections to Planned Parenthood. And during the break, I was just going and looking up some of the articles, and it's interesting for me to note that uh, there was a Salon article that's listed in Wikipedia that has this information, but uh, when you go and click on the link, the Salon article has been taken down. There was a PBS uh, transcript. He did an interview on PBS uh, several years ago where he talked about his family's connections to Planned Parenthood. Now, when you go and click on that link, the transcript has been taken down. It's uh, it's very interesting how some of these things get scrubbed from the web. Um, maybe maybe the, it hasn't been taken down. Maybe it's just been moved to another spot. I'll have to uh, do a little bit more digging before I, I say it definitively. But I have noticed that there has been undoubtedly an attempt to resuscitate Bill Gates's image in the eyes of the public over the last couple of years. And this should not be surprising to anyone out there. I can't imagine that it would be surprising to anyone out there especially given the documented history of how the PR industry itself was literally created by the Rockefellers as a way of resuscitating their family name and their image in the public eye. So that's another very, very interesting field of research for people out there who want to start digging into this history. Go and look up how the Rockefellers really literally created the PR industry from the ground up in order to really revive their their family name and to make it something that now people think of, oh, the Rockefeller Plaza, Rockefeller Center, or the, the Rockefeller Foundation, all these wonderful philanthropic things this family does. They've given so much to this country. Isn't it great that they made their billions and billions back in a time when billions were trillions, basically? I mean, the, the amount of money that uh, J.D. managed to amass during his lifetime is literally just unthinkable. And with that comes incredible power, including the power to 
basically by history. Because as we know, history is written by the winners, and uh, he who has the gold makes the rules. So, so we certainly know that uh, history is written by whoever can afford to buy the historians, and uh, that has happened time and time and time and time and time again, and has been backed up time and time and time again. And so, for example, people should be checking into Norman Dodd, and what he testified about his congressional investigation into the foundations, including the Carnegie Foundation and others, and how they were literally talking about buying the uh, and controlling basically the the academic historians in the U U.S. and then directing U.S. history along the lines of what they want. Because of course, if you can control history, you can control the present, and if you control the present, you control the future. And I believe that relates back to 1984. It's all related, friends, and it all goes back to the same ideas and means. But anyway, I have noticed the resuscitation of Bill Gates's name and his image in the public's eyes over the last couple of years, and it can be nothing other than a coordinated PR attempt. And then we get all sorts of things about how, how great Gates is and all the wonderful, amazing philanthropic work that he's doing. There's even this uh, meme that's going around online for you internet-savvy folks out there about good guy Gates and all the wonderful things he's done, and that's becoming something of a meme that people are picking up on now in the exact same way, way that in the wake of the horrific things that the Rockefeller family had done, the way that people genuinely feared the amount of fortune that they had amassed, the, the way that Rockefeller was portrayed as this just uh, uh, unmitigatingly evil person in the media for, for the first 40 or 50 years of his uh, fame and fortune. But then along comes uh, J.D. Jr. and uh, the creation of the PR industry to really uh, make the Rockefeller seem like the best thing since sliced bread. And, and now if you dare to say that the Rockefellers and their family wealth was somehow detrimental to society, oh, now you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. In the exact same way, everybody on the planet pretty much uh, hates and detests Windows. Even the people who use it don't really like it and know that it's a, a terrible software and, and that Microsoft definitely does not deserve to have such a, uh, an incredible, almost monopoly on, on personal computing and the, uh, the operating software, but how did they get there? How did they position that? That's all a fascinating history in, in, a, in and of itself. But then when you find out that this multi-multi-multi-billionaire who has now dedicated his life to philanthropy in, in just like the Rockefellers and all those who went before him happens to have ties to the same eugenics-based organizations that are all about killing people in, you know, poor, poor brown people in African countries, and now he's the one who's the savior distributing all these vaccines and everything, it's interesting to see if they start scrubbing details about that link and the Planned Parenthood link from, from the web, which seems to be like it might be going on. And, of course, that always leaves us in the situation where if you want to reference this and people says, well, where's your reference? I, I want a reference for this. And then and then you give them a site that uh, that might be a conspiracy theorist site that references one of these transcripts or whatever that's been taken down off the web. The person who's arguing will say, well, it's just a conspiracy theorist website saying that. I won't believe it. So there are all sorts of ways people can use to plug their ears and not listen to the truth, and unfortunately this is one of them. So just an interesting uh, little tidbit there, and uh, and I think it would behoove us to all to take a closer look at Bill Gates and be really be following what he's doing and pushing in this day and age. On that note, we'll take a short break, but we'll be back with more news headlines and your calls after this. One again, Once again, 1-800-313-9443. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Right out the 
Broadcast friends on this beautiful night. I certainly hope it is a beautiful night wherever you might be listening in. So once again, thank you for tuning in. This is Corbett Report Radio with your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Going over the latest news headlines and talking about the unfortunate depopulation agenda that this information tends to come back to time and time and time again. And as we were going over on the broadcast the other night with Mark Russell, this is not to make you afraid. This is not to keep you awake at night shivering in your boots. This is to motivate you to inform yourself about what's going on so that you can make informed decisions about what to do with your life and how best to spend your time. Once again, always keep that in mind. I can be a source of information, but I'm not here to tell you what to do with your life. That is something that you will be figuring out for yourself, but only when you are informed about what's really happening. And on that note, we have a couple of callers waiting on the lines. I have some more news headlines to go through. Let's get straight into it. Let's go to Ryan in Texas. Ryan, thank you uh, for calling in tonight. Hey, James. I just uh, I wanted to shift gears for one second and just talk about a, uh, something I just saw on BreitBart.com. It was, uh, it was uh, Jesse Jackson talking on the uh, Tom Joyner uh, morning show, uh, talking about... Um, the, uh, the Trayvon Martin uh, killing in uh, Florida, and basically what he was saying was, uh, and this is a direct quote, he said, if a white kills a black, we revolt. If a black kills a white, it's jail time. We kill each other. It's Miller time. He said, if somebody has the right to kill us, and I know you and James Evan Plato talked about this, I believe he did, on a, uh, just recently on a uh, New World Next Week uh, episode briefly, but what's your take on the uh, what, how is how is it being uh, used? How is this being used as a uh, political motivation to uh, to to uh, push Obama back into into a uh, positive light? Well, I think you just hit on it there, and the way you frame the question, I think, tells the story. It's how is this being used? Because of course. Of course, this is another murder, and a murder, uh, well, it's a shooting. We don't know what happened, and I don't claim to know what happened, but there's a lot of... Right, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say murder. I'm I'm a... Uh, well, sure. but right. but it is the type of language that, that we'll fall into, and, and that's understandable. And that's part of the problem with this debate, is that everyone has a pronouncement on it and a, and a take on it, and yet we, we still don't really know, I mean, well, we can't really say with, with any great detail what happened, and, and uh, there aren't a lot of people who have been following all of the twists and the turns enough to pronounce on it, and, and I, myself as well, so I don't want to make pronouncements about what did or didn't happen, but I do find it extremely interesting when stories like this get picked up and become the number one story that everyone is talking about 24-7, 24-7, 24-7, exactly like a, a Coney 2012 comes out of nowhere and gets 150 million views in a week, there's clearly something at work and some forces at play. And I think you're exactly right that this is, uh, for whatever it is, whatever the actual incident on the ground is, uh, it certainly has a lot of political resonance right now and certainly as a way of, really rallying a lot of people back around the Obama flag, so to speak, and getting people uh, once again interested in supporting their team in this uh, political sideshow, it certainly it has been effective at that. And unfortunately, what I've seen with this story, again, whatever the case of the actual details of what happened were, 
what everyone is doing is is dividing along the the lines that have been set up to be divided along. I mean, people don't realize, or maybe they do and they don't care, but this is very much a script that has been laid out by the media, and we've seen how they've been doing things to to actively manipulate this story, editing out parts of the uh, the night the phone call that uh, Zimmerman made to make it sound like he was uh, just throwing it out there. Though this guy looks bad, this guy looks black. When they edited the call to show the, the part of, with the 911 caller asking, well, what does he look like, etc. So, I mean, we know this has been manipulated. We know the media is is making this into an issue that divides people. So that's that's really what concerns me about this. And and on that uh, New World Next Week you talk about, it's uh, under the headline Trayvon Tragedy on YouTube if people want to look it up. Um, I, I, I say this is a story no one's going to remember this guy's name in three months. Well, I spoke too soon, obviously, because what the other side of that equation is, is if this continues to be the, the meme that they're pushing, the, pushing, the story that they're pushing so hard, of course people will remember it in the way people remember Rodney King or whatever of the past, but always only because it becomes a flashpoint for riots and dividing and, and these racial politics and everything. So it's, a, it's an extremely bad thing the longer this story continues to be the number one story. Right, I see that. Uh, I, was, I saw that on Drudge today about they're just, they're, they're, they keep pushing it about you know um, you know a, a man who was 78 beaten by teens. This is for Trayvon uh, headline, and uh, they just keep pushing it. So you know, and I that the point that you made about how in uh, in a few months that uh, it, you know nobody will remember his name for me kind of stuck with me because you know because it's a, an election cycle, and, and for some reason I just I just felt that. It was, uh, well, that that's it, right? I mean, it's not like it's not like people will remember him as a human being. People will re- will use that as a rallying cry for their political views. I mean, that's right. the way this will be picked up. So, uh, yeah, so unfortunately, it becomes that. You know. Yeah, it's a trademark, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. So, uh, but anyway, thank, thanks a lot. Hey, no problem. Thank you for the call. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's an important story, and uh, and it's one that I've been trying to avoid. Or not avoid, but I, I just think there's so many uh, ways that people get divided over stories like this when there's really, I mean, there's so much going on in the world that uh, that unfortunately is, uh, is in some ways, I want to say it's more 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 over, overarching, more, more of the fundamental underlying issues. To some extent, the, uh, the, the Martin case does bring up some, some extremely important issues that are happening in America right now, but when we're looking at uh, the Club of Rome talking about basically the extinction of the human species because of we're not limiting our growth enough and all of this uh, craziness about the long-term game plan to eliminate billions of people from the face of this planet, You'll excuse me if I want to keep my eye on the on the ball and when it comes to things like that. So, but I think it is important that we do do talk about these types of things. So, thank you for that, Ryan. And let's move along. We have another call. We have Mike in Florida waiting on the line. Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, James, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm great. I'm a little curious what you think about something. Were you aware that Julian Assange is going to have a show on RT called The World Tomorrow? I have heard about that. Yes, I have no idea what it's about or. How that's going to work, but I did hear about that. I just I came across the trailer tonight, and I wasn't quite sure what to think about that. I've always been kind of skeptical about Assange and WikiLeaks, and I'm not quite sure I want to get your opinion on that whole thing. Well, I'm as skeptical as anyone I think about Assange and what WikiLeaks is all about, and uh, and I must admit I haven't seen the trailer. So, what was in it? What what is this actually going to be? It was actually very well put together. It showed the hourglass, like, you know, the logo for WikiLeaks, and it, it 
you hear Assange speaking in the background. It's very short. Maybe it's like, uh, but it showed Assange. And, I mean, you hear his voice and him saying that um, the full source, having the full source, of what journalism needs there, and, and like we're going to put something different out there, and you know, playing the music. So I don't know. It seems interesting, but. Yeah, I have no doubt it'll be slick, it'll be interesting, but, uh, yeah. but to what extent it'll be. Well, that's the thing with WikiLeaks, is that all of these documents that they're putting out, uh, to the extent that they're even real, and let's assume that they are, but uh, it's always it always just represents the official view of the insiders talking to themselves about the official view, which isn't, it, it that is not the story. The story is not just what uh, diplomats are writing about each other, and yet it's it's marketed that way in the journals and, and the New York Times and all of those uh, partner publications with WikiLeaks that they part cozy up with, which again should be ringing alarm bells for people in the alternative media. But yeah. uh, but I hear what you're saying. I think it's it's going to be interesting to watch. And uh, along those lines, again, I'm doing a listening to the enemy uh, podcast episode this Saturday, and perhaps a show like this might be another source for uh, for information about what uh, what the insiders are saying or thinking or want you to believe. So it it'll be interesting in that note anyway. But uh, but just to clarify, of course, people will know that I'm often a guest on RT. Some people think that I have some kind of relationship with RT. Uh, it's, it's nothing of the sort. They just uh, t- they call me up time to time to comment on stories. And that's it. I just go on air and uh, and do that. So I'm happy to go on air and talk to them. They've never censored anything I've said or told me what to say. So as long as they continue to do that, I'll continue to be on RT's uh, programs. But it doesn't mean that I necessarily endorse everything they're doing. Of course. You should play a clip of the trailer on the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I may, in fact, do that. Thank you very much for letting me know. I didn't know the trailer was out, so I'll go and take a look at it. Thanks. All right, James. All right. Take care, Mike. Take care. All right. Okay, thank you. So, absolutely, again, vitally important stuff, and there's uh, too many things to keep my eye on everything, but I'm certainly doing my best, and I will definitely check into that trailer. I hope you guys out there will, too. And uh, let's continue going along the lines of that article we were talking about before, the next Great Depression, the big economic and population collapse being predicted by the Club of Rome. Uh, for the last 40 years, uh, tellingly enough, they've been talking about this for 40 years, well, more than 40 years now, but uh, their Limits to Growth book came out 40 years ago this year, and so they're having a big kind of birthday bash for this book, which is bizarre in and of itself. It's a book that celebrates or or just draws attention to this this meme they've created about how, oh, the population is just too much, we're all going to die off so soon, oh, we're just getting too big for this planet. And now that uh, 40 years on, none of their, you know, dire predictions of sudden death of, you know, the half of the species has come to pass. Now they're having some kind of big bash to bring attention back to it. And again, of course, I mean, they point out in that article we were reading, 12 millions of copies of the report were produced and distributed in 37 different languages. And do you think, do you think it, they, they sold 12 million copies in 37 different languages because this was just some spontaneous uprising of people going, wow, this is such a great book? Or do you think that this is an agenda that is being pushed by people associated with the, the Club of Rome, for instance? And again, please do your own research, look into who's affiliated with that group, and you'll start seeing some unfortunate characters. And uh, again, we have to have a quizzical eye when we're looking at this, this type of um, meme that's being propagated. And along those lines of the uh, the sky is falling and everything's uh, going to hell in a handbasket and we need some controls to keep people in line as we start going into this collapse, well, guess what's happened recently? If you haven't been keeping your eye on the climate uh, alarmism news recently, you'll have missed talking about Kari or Kerry Norgard, 
who is a professor at the University of Oregon. And uh, we'll, we'll just pick up the story from RegisterGuard.com. Sociology professor draws Limbaugh's ire. Uh, the conservative radio host and bloggers attack Kari Nargard for her work on climate change. University of Oregon professor Kari Nor- Norgard had the honor last week of taking part in a panel discussion in London at a prestigious meeting of scientists on the subject of climate change. But upon her return, she found her name on Rush Limbaugh's lips, her university email stuffed with hundreds of hateful messages, and the UO itself under attack in the blogosphere for Stalinesque changes to its website. Maybe they'll soon be from go from being called the Mighty Ducks to the Mighty Schmucks, one of the bloggers wrote. The subject of the blogger's ire appeared to, to have sprung from an inaccurate description of Norgard's work that appeared in a UO news release. It said, Resistance at individual and societal levels must be recognized and treated before real action can be taken to effectively address threats facing the planet from human-caused contributions to climate change. Uh, Norgard's study, which she is working on with Professor Robert Broll at Dexter, Dexter Drexel University in Philadelphia, excuse me, actually suggested that societal resistance to the idea of climate change should be recognized and addressed through dialogue, Broll said. But bloggers seized on the word and treated in the UO news release and spread a mushrooming and false story that Norgard had delivered a paper in London that called climate skeptics sick or mentally ill and in need of psychoactive drugs. So that's the way that the uh, this story is being framed in the mainstream media, the Register Guard in this case. And, of course, they, they paint it as this, oh, poor, beset-upon climate uh, scientist who's, who's being hounded by Rush Limbaugh and all of those people. And, of course, they immediately draw in all the connotations of Limbaugh and, and all of these left-right politics games to try to get the reader to side on this uh, poor scientist who's just trying to do her work and she's been so misrepresented. Oh, oh, poor her. And then, of course, when you actually go and look at some of the things that, that have demonstrably been argued for in the name of the climate alarmism, even if Norgard has been completely and utterly and totally taken out of context and all of this has been completely blown up uh, out of proportion, it's still an idea that has actually been argued time and time again, actually, when you start to go and look into it. It's something I've done in numerous uh, videos and things that I've done in the past. I hope people will start taking a look at that. And uh, a good place to start might be my Sunday update episode on exploding skeptics. Just type that into YouTube and you'll find that Sunday update that went through some of the history of these types of ideas. But on that note, we have another caller on the line. We have Glenn in Oregon. So maybe uh, someone who knows Professor Kari Norgard or maybe not. Glenn, thank you for calling in tonight. What's on your mind? Uh, I don't know Professor Norgard. I've been a fan of yours for quite a while. I'm contributor to your website as well as to a public broadcast thing, uh, archive membership. Um, I, I, maybe you've already said it. This strikes me as Terry Shibo too. This whole Trayvon business. Interesting. In what way? Well, uh, first of all, it started in Florida. It's a real high-heat thing from a Christian, quote, in quotes, perspective. Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, it's certainly, I mean, it's certainly one of those push-button issues that that everyone sort of immediately sees and immediately has a strong opinion on one way or the other, and it it really has divided a lot of people, so I certainly see the parallels in that respect. I'm, I'm thinking about the radio address in which acting President Barack Obama uh, said, um, in order to get out the vote, we've got to have congregation captains for Obama. 
That's uh-huh. what gave you the Christian angle. Mm, right, right, right. So anyway. Well, yeah. And we've seen all of the ways that, that Obama has been trying to rally his minions in, in the defense of his re-election campaign and all of the same kind of underhanded tactic, techniques and tactics we saw back in 2008 with people threatening to arrest people who spread lies about their beloved Saint Obama and all of those kinds of things. And unfortunately, we're in that ele- election cycle again, so they're going to spin that cycle off and every story is going to be, how does this play into this phony race between the two pre-selected candidates that the establishment has allowed through. So uh, just another year for de- lies, deceptions, and spinning everything into phony left-right debates. One more last quick thing. Please, I, yeah. I, I own, admittedly rather spuriously, but in my personal capacity, CascadiaPublicBroadcasting.org. Excellent. I never knew that was yours. That Excellent. Was my well, thank well, you for that. Thank you for that effort. Oh, yeah, and, and you still appear there every week as well as Media Monarchy and some other things that we like. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Well, tell people about Cascadia Public Radio. Cascadia Public Radio, um, well, basically it was available and I took it. Um, I'm hoping somebody will pay me a bunch for it sometime. Uh, it relates to a really rather unpleasant relationship I have with a community radio station here that makes left cover its, uh, its specialty, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's uh, far too many of those. Well, we're up against a break, but if you want to hang on the line, I'd be happy to hold you over. And uh, once again, thank you so much for all the help that you're providing. It's, uh, it's a great resource. So thank on that you, note, sir. let's take a yeah, short break. And we'll I'm right going to go. Bye. Okay, thank you, Glenn. And we'll be right back after this. Friends, welcome back. Here we are in the closing minutes of another edition of Corbett Report Radio, and I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. I'm also on YouTube and Blip.tv and Vimeo and Twitter and many other places besides most of them with Corbett Report, all one word as the username. So please check that out. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of free media available for download from CorbettReport.com and links and source documentation to everything I do and everything I talk about. So it is a resource. I certainly hope you guys out there are using it. And on that note, uh, we had Glenn in Oregon on the line just uh, before the break, and he was talking about Cascadia Public Radio. I didn't know he was the proprietor of that, but I do know about Cascadia Public Radio at cascadiapublicradio.blogspot.com. And it's been an excellent resource over the years. In fact, for the longest time, I used to have people writing into me who uh, couldn't download the large podcast files that I put up, the 128-kilobyte MP3 files. They were too large to download on dial-up or on uh, on pay- pay-per-use uh, Internet connections. So I would often it, direct them over to Cascadia Public Radio and uh, tell them to use this. It's an excellent resource. And if you go there, you can see that, uh, that there's an archive or a uh, Radio for All link. If you follow that, you'll find that... Uh, that Quite often, for for an awful long long time, Glenn's been taking a lot of different podcasts and basically condensing them down into small file size uh, versions, uh, lower quality but easier to download. So for people who need that, that is a good resource. So thank you so much for the call in, Glenn. And again, tonight we have been going over the news, the headlines, and uh, looking into a bit of the agenda, taking the uh, the, the veneer off of the 
the depopulation agenda that unfortunately continues to be facing us. And once again, it's always one that has a false front. It has a false mask that it's wearing, and it's all about concern for humanity. Oh, the Club of Rome cares so much about you, and they love you so much that they have to write this Limits to Growth uh, book to tell people just how incredibly terrible all of this resource use is and how the world is too crowded, we're using too many resources, and thus, well, what, what can you possibly do except, well, start modifying people's behavior? Well, we can't, we can't I'm sorry, we just can't allow you to, uh, to breed so much anymore, and uh, you, can't, you can't enjoy the same things that you used to enjoy. And Yeah, a lot of people are probably going to die, the economy is probably going to collapse, but it's all in your own best interest. And uh, people who want more on uh, on the Club of Rome and their role in creating the very uh, climate catastrophe alarmism that we were talking about in re- relation to Professor Norgard and, and others, uh, you can go to a video that I did in the past called Message to the Environmental Movement, where I talked about uh, about that very piece of, piece of the puzzle and how it slots into what has become the... Uh, well, really, the entire story of climate change. And again, you can actually trace this back through the Club of Rome's 1991 book, The First Global Revolution. And you can go read it for yourself. It's right in there. And you can go download it from archive.org or wherever. And it says, in searching for a common enemy against whom we can unite, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, family, famine, and the like would fit the bill. All these dangers are caused by human intervention in natural processes and it is only through changed attitudes and behavior that they can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. That's right. You can't get much more black and white than that, my friends. It's uh, the Club of Rome calling humanity the enemy. And uh, ask yourself, how do they wage a war against humanity? And once you start going down the uh, the rabbit hole and taking a look at the soft kill bioweapons and all of the stuff that they've been engineering into the environment for far, far too long, you'll start to realize exactly what the agenda is and exactly how it's unfolding. But again, I'm just putting out the breadcrumbs. It's up to you to connect the trail and find out where it leads. So on that note, I hope you will continue with me on in that task, and I will be back with all of you in 23 hours for another edition of Corbett Report Radio. Until then, thanks for listening, and take care. <laughs>